Father, we thank you that you have a heart that is unlike ours. You take um, those who are last and least and lost, and you bring them into your kingdom, and you say, Lord, that the last shall be first and the least shall be greatest. And Jesus, we saw, uh, we read in the Gospels how you take even the children and you say you need to be like this to enter the kingdom. And we thank you that you have such a heart for the children and that the Gospel, Father, goes on from generation to generation. And so as we pray and dismiss the children of the church, we pray that in their study, in your word, that they would learn much about you and your love for us in Jesus. And Father, we pray that you be with Hyung as she teaches and that you uphold her and give her clarity and strength and patience and great love for you and the children. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Uh, well, hello, Cornerstone. Um, today, I get the great privilege of introducing our guest preacher. Uh, Pastor Dave should be a familiar face. This is his uh, third time coming to us and preaching. And uh, on the phone, uh, he pointed out today that actually the last two times he came it was always on the last Sunday of November, uh, last Sunday of November in 2016, 2017. Uh, this year we're one week late, um, but uh, we're already scheduling him for next year so he's uh, covenanted to that uh, but he's a uh, brother in Christ he's a partner in gospel ministry uh, and as cheesy as it is to say he is my best friend and I am so personally thankful uh, that he would drive the hour and a little over an hour and a half after his own service to come share God's word uh, with us uh, Dave serves as the associate pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church. It's a PCA church in West Orange, New Jersey. Uh, he studied at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, and after graduation, he joined the pastoral staff at CFC. Uh, Dave likes to eat and read and exercise in that order. He loves all sports, uh, but his favorite is basketball. Uh, and you'll know this because he is married to Joanne, and they have two children, uh, Micah and Jordan. <laughs> yes. He named his kids Micah Jordan. Uh, praise God, it's not LeBron and James. Uh, um, but he is uh, a, man, a man of God, a man of God's word, and we are so excited that the Spirit would speak to him this afternoon to us to encourage us in the gospel ministry. So would you join me in welcoming Pastor Dave to the pulpit to preach God's word. Morning. Oh, good afternoon. Sorry. I'm so used to saying good morning. Uh, it certainly is good to see everyone here on the Lord's Day. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Andrew and, and Cornerstone for inviting me. And as Pastor Andrew mentioned, um, the last time I was here was exactly a year ago last week. And uh, I know since that time, a lot has happened here at Cornerstone. There's been a lot of planning and preparing and uh, just a side fact, Pastor Andrew and I talk every day. Even while he was in Cambodia, we talked every day. And so there's no way um, that I'll miss the updates during our communication. And so I could say with full integrity that I've been praying for Cornerstone. I'm very excited for what the Lord has in store for you guys in your new building. Um, well, let's turn to God's Word. God's Word today comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Matthew 25, 
verses 1 through 13. Hear now God's holy word. Then the kingdom of heaven, oh sorry, will you rise with me? <laughs> then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Let's speak to God. Please be seated, and will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your invitation this afternoon. And what a great invitation it is to come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Maker, our Sustainer. And with that in mind, Lord, help us to see that this is not just mere attendance, but we get to sit at your feet to hear your word to have our souls fed and so we ask for your spirit to point to Christ and may we find him beautiful more beautiful than what this world has to offer may we find him majestic and glorious that there would not be a competition in our souls that Christ alone would be King, that Christ alone would be Lord over our lives. And so, Lord, again, we ask you to speak now to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a king who had all the world could afford, but the thing he loved most was to laugh. And once while being entertained, a jester came along wishing to join the festivities. But he also came wishing to perform for the king. After some time, his opportunity came, and he put the best comical show he had ever done, and the king never laughed so hard. Once the activity, activity was all over, the king wanted to hire him as his personal entertainer, his personal jester. The king, in his humor, placed a medal around his neck and said, You are the most foolish man alive. When you find someone more foolish than you, give them this medal. Well, after many years had passed by, the king lay sick on his deathbed, ready to go at any moment. He called for his jester, for he wanted to laugh one more time before he died. When the jester came near, he personally asked to speak to the king. When he was alone with the king, he asked him, King, where are you going? On a far journey. The jester asked again, and how do you plan to get there? I don't know. And at that moment, 
the jester took the medal and he handed it to the king. The king was shocked. What is the meaning of this? Why are you giving me the medal? The jester replied, King, today I have found a more foolish man than I. For I only fooled around with the things of life, but you have fooled around with the things of eternity. Now I share this story with you because in today's parable, Jesus reminds us, the listeners, the importance of preparing for eternity, preparing for his return. The question I have for you this afternoon is, are we preparing for that day? How are you preparing for that day? Or are we like the king in the story who messed around, trifled with the things of eternity? Well, here's the gospel truth for us today. Jesus is coming for his bride, and we are to prepare for his coming. Jesus is coming for his bride, and we are to prepare for his coming. And I have three points for us today. Anticipation, separation, and preparation. Anticipation, separation, and preparation. Let's look at the first point, anticipation. We have a parable here where Jesus describes what the kingdom of heaven is like. But right before he shares this parable, he tells his disciples to look out for the signs of the end of the age. What signs? He tells us in chapter 24 to look out for wars, earthquakes, famines, lawlessness. Look out so that your love will not grow cold. Jesus actually says that the love of many will grow cold. What a sobering warning. And as Jesus is teaching his disciples to look out for these signs, can you imagine? They're listening to the words of Christ, and they're probably thinking, when? When will this happen? But Jesus continues in verse 26. Listen, no one knows when this is going to take place. But what's important is not that you try to figure that out, but what's important is that you expect it and that you prepare for it. And so after he drops this knowledge to the disciples, he goes straight into this parable. The kingdom will be like 10 virgins or 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to the bridegroom. He connects the end times with the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. I just want to pause here for a second because we need to address a couple of things. First, how many bridesmaids are there? 10 bridesmaids and they're going to meet the bridegroom. Why are these bridesmaids going to meet the bridegroom? Second, what are the bridesmaids taking? What's up with these lamps? Why are they taking these lamps? If you will, let's take a trip down memory lane and go back to your own wedding. And for those of us who are not married, I'm sure you've attended a wedding. Do you guys remember what your wedding day was like? There's a lot of planning and prepping leading all the way up to the day of the actual wedding. Now, on the day of the wedding, do you remember what your bridesmaids were doing? They wake up super early, they shower, the the makeup artist and hairstylist comes, and and they spend hours preparing for this big day. They're getting their their nails done, their their hairs done, and the bridesmaids are, are making sure that the bride looks absolutely beautiful. Why? Because this day is all about her. This day is all about the bride. She is the star of the day. She needs to look perfect. And while all this is taking place, do you know what the groomsmen are doing? That's right, nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
You know what I did with my groomsmen on my wedding day? I think, uh, well, Pastor Andrew was there. He was my best man. We ordered pizza. We ordered subs. Sorry, hoagies, as you guys call it here. Um, we didn't do anything pertain- that pertained to the day of the wedding. And we see something similar in today's text. We have 10 bridesmaids who are preparing for the big day. But something strange is going on. The bridesmaids are going to meet the bridegroom. And this doesn't make sense to us. It shouldn't make sense to us. And that's because in our weddings, the bride and groom are in the same building. In our weddings, the groom, the groomsmen, and the bridesmaids are already at the altar waiting for who? The bride. But what we have in today's text is the opposite. And the wedding in today's passage seems so backwards because what we have in today's parable is a Jewish wedding. And their wedding wouldn't take place at a fancy wedding venue or at a church or at a synagogue. No. The wedding would take place at the bride's house. And so if you could imagine with me, 10 bridesmaids go off to the bride's house and it says in verses 2 to 4, five of them were foolish and five were wise. But when the foolish took the lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with the lamp. The wise were preparing for uncertainties, for hiccups, for glitches during that day. What if he doesn't come on time? We better be ready. So the parable says five had extra oil and five did not. Five wise, five foolish. And so at this point, the bridal party, the 10 bridesmaids are most likely at the house of the bride. And like the bridesmaids today, their responsibility was to to help the bride get ready. They're responsible for the final preparation of the bride. Now keep in mind, there's no electricity. There's no lights. So part of the responsibility was to have these lamps to light the way for themselves and for the guests. And as they're carrying these lamps, they're on the lookout because at any moment, you could see him. At any moment, they're expecting the bridegroom. There was this great anticipation. You know, it's not like your weddings today. They didn't have fancy save the dates. They didn't have paperless posts. No, it didn't work that way. You see, when you receive a wedding invitation today and it says start time 5 p.m., you expect it to start more or less at 5 p.m., But this wasn't how it worked back then. The bridegroom could show up an hour late, two hours late, three hours late. There was just no way of knowing. Well, some time had passed, and it's dark. The sun had gone down. There's no cell phones, no Facebook, no Instagram, no social media to to communicate with the others. And so these bridesmaids, they've been waiting. They've been watching. Some will be inside the house. Others will be outside the house, just waiting and watching, waiting and watching. Some will go a little down the street carrying their lamps, and they're looking out for the bridegroom. But what happens as soon as they see the bridegroom coming? They turn to the house, and they yell, Hey, here's the bridegroom. Get ready. Alert the bride. Make sure she is ready. And then all the bridesmaids would rush to the house, and they would begin to dress the bride. They prepare her, adorn her, because in just a moment, she was going to see her bridegroom. And so if you could picture what's taking place as the bride, bridesmaids, and the guests are waiting, there's this great anticipation 
They're all in the house, and, and you hear the chit-chat among the people. Did you hear? The bridegroom is, is coming. This is it. And as the people are waiting, there will be songs, there's dancing, there's celebration, there's joy. The bride is being made ready for the bridegroom. Cornerstone. Isn't this what the church should look like? Don't we have here a picture of the church? A church that is filled with bridesmaids who are longing, anticipating, expecting the return of the bridegroom. And I want to ask you this afternoon, do we have that sense of expectation for the return of our Lord? Or is this a foreign concept? Are you expecting the Lord to return? Are we on the lookout for something else? What future event are you most looking forward to? Is there something other than the return of Christ? Cornerstone, I want to remind you, there is an ultimate future event that casts a shadow on all future events. It's the return of the King. And so I want to ask you, are we living our lives with a sense of urgency with the Lord's return in mind? Well, as the story continues, on this day, there is no sight of the, a sign of the bridegroom. You, you, it makes you wonder, did the bridegroom get cold feet, change of heart? What's going on here? Did the, did the guests get annoyed? Have the bridesmaids become tired of watching and waiting on the bridegroom? You have to wonder, did the mood of, of this festivity change because of the bridegroom's delay? And in the same fashion, I want to ask you guys, are our songs fading because the Lord is taking too long? Have our songs just become noise? Have our prayers become empty words? Have we stopped crying out? Have we stopped longing for him, for his return? My wife Joanne um, sent me an article some time ago about a missionary who visited an orphanage in Uganda. And this missionary walked into the nursery with over a hundred babies in their cribs. And he listened in amazement and wonder as the only sound he heard in that nursery filled with a hundred babies was silence. A sound that is beyond rare in any nursery, let alone a nursery where there's over a hundred babies. And see, so he turned to the host and he asked her, why is the nursery so silent? What's the trick? How do you get the babies to be so silent? And she looked at him and said, after about a week of them being here and crying out for countless hours, they eventually stop when they realize no one is coming for them. You know, what a heartbreaking story. As I was preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help but wonder about Cornerstone. Have we stopped crying out because we feel like our cries are futile? Do we feel as though our prayers are ineffective? Cornerstone, I want to encourage you to continue to cry out because we are not left as orphans. We have a Father who is committed to us. The King is returning. And because the King is returning, I also want to challenge you to pray for the salvation of those around you, that we will be bold and humble in asking God to bring about the salvation of the community here because the Lord could be coming at any moment. And so again, I want to ask, 
When was the last time you cried out to God with this sense of urgency? Or have we become tired of waiting? Has the wait been dreadful? Is the bridegroom taking too long? Well, this is what we see in today's text. The bridegroom is delayed. And again, it was normal for a wedding not to start on time. It was normal for the bridegroom to be delayed. The more time that had passed, the greater the longing, the greater the anticipation. And church, I want to remind you this afternoon that the day and the hour of the return of our Lord is only closer. Let us not fall into temptation of thinking he's not going to return. Let's wait with great expectation and anticipation. This leads us to our second point, separation. Now again, as I said before, it's normal for bridegrooms to be late, but they're never this late. It had gone to midnight and the bridegroom still had not come. The bridegroom was so late that they all fell asleep. And just when they had fallen asleep, there was a cry at midnight. And this is what we read in verse 6. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Now, I just want to draw your attention to detail that can easily go unnoticed. If you look closely, all 10 bridesmaids were invited to the wedding. All 10 prepared for the wedding. There is no indication that five were outsiders and five were insiders. No, all 10 were waiting for the bridegroom. All had some affection for the bridegroom. All 10 were in the bride's house, weren't they? All 10 were certain that the bridegroom was coming. And when the cry went out at midnight, it's not that the five foolish virgins stayed asleep. No, what does it say? They all rose and trimmed their lamps. You know, in my first year of college, I became good friends with a guy who was always thinking of ways to, to make money, these get-rich-quick schemes. And uh, usually his ideas were far-fetched, but there was this one time when he came into my room and he knocked. I said, Dave, I got it. We're going to be rich. I said, yeah, what's the plan? He said, I did some research and I discovered that Louis Vuitton bags don't depreciate in value. They actually go up in value after a few years. So let's buy a few of these bags now, store them, and sell them later for profit. Are you in? And so I thought, man, this was quite the investment opportunity. Yeah, I would like to become your partner. And so we bought those banks, and we tripled our money a few years later, is what I wish I could tell you happened. <laughs> That's not what happened. We took a shortcut. We pulled whatever money we had. We bought five Louis Vuitton bags from Chinatown for like 50 bucks. And keep in mind, I'm just a poor college student. I'm just trying to get by. I need the money now. And just youth group, if you're in here, do not try this. Don't attempt this. This is very foolish on my part. But anyways, we made an account on eBay. And we took pictures of the bag. We made sure the pictures captured the authenticity of the bags. And we posted 100% authentic Louis Vuitton bags. And we thought to ourselves, we're rich. This is it. And do you know what happened? Five minutes later, we receive an email from an e uh, eBay rep saying, please remove your post. This is your first and last warning. And I was stunned. I remember reading that email and thinking, well, first I was humbled, but then I was thinking, 
how did they know? I mean, I, I saw the pictures of the real thing on eBay, and I saw the pictures of mine, and they were indistinguishable. I mean, we copied word for word their advertisement. We made sure the photos looked legit. It looked just like the real thing. There was no way of telling it was fake. And I share with you this story because we can make an argument that the five foolish versions were virtually indistinguishable from the five wise versions. They looked apart. The they played the part. There were no distinctions. But the word of God reminds us this afternoon that on that day, Jesus is going to separate the real from the counterfeit. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate the weed from the wheat. He's going to separate the wise from the foolish. And on that day, he's going to tell you to enter into the marriage of the lamb while he tells the pretender, I don't know you. Some time ago, I was getting ready to start the day, and so I was doing my usual routine, brushing my teeth. And in the middle of brushing my teeth, I, I heard this loud, thunderous roar, and it went off for about 10 seconds. And as I was brushing my teeth, I, I stopped and I said, oh my gosh, the Lord's coming, this is it. I really thought the Lord was coming. And so I dropped to my knees and I just started crying, I started praising God, and then the thunder stopped. And so I just got back up and continued brushing my teeth. <laughs> but I thought this because, you know, we read in the New Testament that the Lord is going to come with a loud roar. And so if you'll imagine with me, pretend you're starting the day, and there's this loud cry, and you finish washing up, and you run to the wedding banquet. You just sprint. And when you get there, the door is shut. And so you knock Lord, Lord, it's, it's me. Open the door. And Jesus comes to the door and he sees through the window. He doesn't open it. And he says, truly I say to you, I do not know you. See, Lord, it's me. Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And you peek inside the window and you say, what? That guy is in there? He barely came to church. And if he did, he was always late. I came to church every week on time. You look again, what? She's in there? I've never seen her put a dime in the offering basket. Lord, I tithe every week. What? That kid from youth group was in there? He was the worst. What about me, Lord, that one time I cried for like an hour at the retreat? You remember that? What about the time I went to missions? What about all those years of serving on praise team? The time I was baptized, the time I was ordained as an elder. Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Church is a very sobering text, isn't it? Jesus himself gives us a stern warning that there are people who simply have the external appearance, just the image of a Christian. But that's all that it is. And there are people who fool others, maybe even themselves, thinking that they're Christians just because they come to church, just because they pray. You see, both the believer and the non-believer need to ask the question, do I fit that description? Am I someone 
who has heard the invitation to Christ, to the gospel, have somewhat responded and maybe even had some affections for Jesus, but deep down there is no real change. But you see, on that day, you will not be able to fool the Lord. He sees right through you. He sees straight into your heart. And so we need to ask, if these ten bridesmaids were virtually indistinguishable, why were five allowed while the other five rejected? You see, the difference between the five wise and the five foolish was their preparation. Their preparation. You see, outwardly, the women were alike. But inwardly, five women were certain. They were absolutely certain that the bridegroom could be coming at any moment. While the, five, while the other five were careless in their preparation. And as a matter of fact, it was their lack of preparation that proved what they really thought of the Lord's coming. They weren't ready. They knew he was coming. They believed he was coming. But their actions proved otherwise. And if you turn with me to verse 7 and 8, it says, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. We're not ready, but give us some of your oil. And as we're reading this, the natural reaction is, why didn't they share? Why are they being so selfish? But the answer is in the very next verse. There will not be enough for us and for you. But I think we're able to extract more from this. Saving grace is not transferable. Preparation is not transferable. Your mother can't do it for you. Your father can't do it for you. Only you can say, Lord, you are Lord. Only you can make this preparation. In other words, the faith that we have within is non-transferable. You cannot be saved through another person's faith. It's up to you. Have you received the Lord? And are you prepared? This, is, this leads us to our third and final point, preparation. I want to begin this third point with this question. Do you want Jesus to come back? And if so, why? Maybe you're in pain, emotional pain, physical pain. You want this pain to go away. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you're depressed. You're just tired of life. And I'm sure we all have our reasons for why we want Jesus to come back. You know, wouldn't that solve a lot of problems? Wouldn't that fix a lot of broken hearts? No more broken relationships, no more financial struggles, no more surgeries, no more pain, no more deaths. And as we live with these disappointments, as we live with the failures of this world, as we live with tragedy and pain and suffering, as Christians, there should be this longing for his return. Lord, when are you returning? Lord, I'm waiting, I'm looking, but the night is only getting darker. And maybe for some of us, it has gotten so bleak that you're at the point of giving up. But church, at the end of the day, being eager and prepared for Christ's return is not merely about the avoidance of pain, but it's about the entrance into glory and joy. You see, when you think of heaven, when you limit heaven to just these absences of pain, when you limit heaven to the end of struggles, personal, familial struggles, school struggles, relational struggles, you're missing the big picture. 
But the word of God paints us this picture in Revelations 19.6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of the great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So if you could imagine with me one more time, you hear what seems to be the voice of the great multitude, the roar of many waters, and you say, yes, this is it. This is the day of the wedding. But as you run towards the wedding, you realize you're covered in filth. You're an absolute mess. But here's the thing. There's no time to change. No time to get ready. And yet you still head over. And as you enter through the doors, you sit in the back, hoping that no one would notice you. You're dirty. You're unclean. You don't belong at a wedding looking the way you do. This usher, this angel comes along and says, sorry, you can't sit here. And so you get up and you stand the back wall. And the angel says one more time, no, 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 you can't stand there either. Let me show you where you belong. The angel grabs you by the hand and he leads you all the way to the front of the altar. You're confused. You're embarrassed. You're ashamed. What am I doing up here? And the angel says, you don't remember. You don't remember your engagement. You don't remember how the bridegroom paid for your dowry. Let me remind you, when the Lord came the first time, he did not get down on one knee and proposed. No, he laid down his life and poured his blood. You have been purchased and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the reason you get to enter, no, the reason you get to sit, no, no, no. The reason the church gets to stand at the altar is because by his blood, your guilt and shame have been washed away. You've been purified. And as you're standing there, you see that you're robed in a spotless garment. And at that moment, the bridegroom walks in in all of his glory in all of his splendor. And as you see the nail-pierced hands, you begin to remember, that's why I have every right. That's why the church can stand at the altar. Friends, this is the day we're waiting for. Are we preparing for it? Are we ready for it? Cornerstone, this is my hope, my prayer, that we rise from our slumber, that we are alert, we ready ourselves for the return of our glorious King. Let's pray. Almighty King, what great lengths you went to to redeem your bride. Not because we were worthy, not because we were beautiful. In fact, it was the opposite. Oh, how unworthy, how unclean, how rebellious we were, oh God. Yet because of your great love for us, you sent your perfect son to rescue us by sending him to the cross and by dying the death that we should have died. 
Jesus Christ, thank you for giving us your robe. Thank you for washing us, for purifying us. And Lord, give us the strength and the endurance to wait for you, knowing that you are coming back for us. You promised it. Help us to hold on, to cling on to this promise. But Lord, until that day, may we not waste our life here. May we not waste the days you've given to us here, Lord. May we not pursue frivolous things, but may we only bow our knee to Jesus Christ. He alone is king. He alone is worthy. He alone is holy, holy, holy. God, put that desire in our hearts as we wait expectantly for you. In the mighty and saving name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.